Welcome to the Wake and Take podcast. On today's show, we do a deep dive into the life of Reggie Lynch. He calls into the show to talk about the ups and downs of his journey to professional basketball. It's a good one, folks. You're not going to want to miss it. Hit it, Randall. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. And it's been the ruin of many a poor boy. In God, I know I'm one. We now welcome on the former Edina and Gopher basketball standout and current professional basketball player in Italy, Reggie Lynch. Reggie, thanks for calling in. How are you doing today? My man, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Where have you been staying during this pandemic? I mentioned you played basketball in Italy. I mean, I hope you're not there right now. Hopefully you're back home. But where have you been kind of holding over during this pandemic? Yeah, man. So I've actually been just staying at my mother's house, the house I grew up grew up in, uh, in Edina. Um, I left Milan. Uh, Milan happened to be one of the worst coronavirus places, ironically, mm-hmm. um, about two months ago. I left Milan uh, on March 12th, so it's been pretty much like exactly two months since I've been uh, since I left. And March 12th, you said, how were things when you left there related to coronavirus? You said it was horrible in Milan related to other places in Italy, but what was that like at the point where you got out of the country? Yeah, I mean... For me, I was actually, most me and most of my teammates were hearing about this whole coronavirus thing um, much earlier than the States was because we had the the whole Italian cruise ship thing. Mm. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah. And that was the, the cruise ship that kind of brought some of those first, uh, first uh, positive people with the coronavirus to the region that Milan is in. Mm-hmm. So our region where Milanizan got shut down like early February. And we were hearing about this thing like late December. Mm-hmm. So we were just kind of, it was kind of like a rumor, like, Oh, there's this virus going on. We weren't really sure like how big it would be. But then like a month later, we were like, Oh shoot, there's this Italian cruise ship. And now some of those guys that got off the cruise ship made their way to the region that Milan was in. So Milan was pretty tough. We had to lock down, uh, going back, to as far as like early February. Wow. So kind of similar to what Minnesota's going through, but we were doing it real early. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say lockdown, is, is it similar to here? Is it just businesses and stores closed down or they have, I mean, I, I saw videos on Twitter and I don't know how accurate this is, but like military people on the streets in Italy, did you see stuff like that or was it more like it is here? Yeah. I mean, it was, it wasn't like military people, but they were definitely locking down zones and the zone that Milan specifically was in and also Venice happened to be the one that was the like the red zone. But after like a week of Milan's region being the, the red zone, then they just locked down the whole country because they were starting to pop out in other villages. So it's actually kind of funny because when I left Milan, everyone was so afraid that I had the virus because, <laughs> you know, I got out of Milan and then I came home and everyone was so scared of me. But it was it's actually different because, I was actually doing this whole lockdown and quarantine at home uh, ever since, you know, it arrived in Milan. So I was actually uh, probably one of the most safe people because I wasn't touching anybody. I wasn't leaving my apartment at all. So then I came straight from my apartment, got on the plane, got home, got tested, came came out negative. Mm. 
So your parents didn't make you go sleep out in the garage when you got home because they worried about yeah. you? <laughs> <laughs> no, they did not. Luckily, my mother would not do that to me. Even even if I did have the virus, she probably wouldn't do that to me. Too nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and speaking about your mom, I read a story in the Star Tribune from, I think it was 2018. Uh, but this is the earliest basketball story I could find on you. It said fourth grade. Uh, your team, you were playing in a basketball game. Your team was down by 40 points, and you were just laying on the floor kind of looking up at the ceiling because you were so distraught with how things were going in that game. And it said that was the last time you ever gave up uh, in a basketball game. Your mom said she was, you know, really embarrassed or something like that. But ever since, you've been, you've been fighting like hell. Uh, what do you recall from that day? Man, I can't believe, like, this is the first time I'm hearing about this in a long time. You're really <laughs> bringing back some memories right now. <laughs> I love it though. It's, it's great that you bring this up when uh, Mother's Day was yesterday too. Mm-hmm. She holds on to those stories, but yeah, I for sure remember that. I mean, that was back when I was playing for uh, Dinah, but for like the traveling team, and you know, Hopkins is like the main basketball force in the league that Edina plays in, mm-hmm. and we just got wrecked by them. And that was when I wasn't, you know, so sure that I would ever, you know, play in college or play pro. I was so young. But I just always knew I loved the game, and I never wanted that feeling of just getting smacked like that. Like, losing a close game sucks, but just a feeling of absolute, like, destruction to your team is just not a good feeling. And ever since that happened, I I actually did cry on the floor. Just a little kid, like some of my other teammates, where we lost, and then they would just go to their families, and then they would go get some pizza after the game. But after the game for me, I was just traumatized by that. Yeah. It was like, I do not want that feeling ever again. So I would say that that was definitely a, a big moment for me that kind of shaped my drive towards wanting to be a great basketball player. Yeah, and we can see that that competitive mindset definitely paid off for you in later high school, college, and now pros in the in the European League. But speaking still about your high school career and amateur career, you went to Adina for the last two years of your high school career and played alongside Graham Woodward, a phenomenal guard who went to Penn State what was it like for you to playing in the late conference, as you mentioned before, and having one of the best seasons in school history? Yeah, I mean, just going back to even after that, after that uh, forty-point loss. I mean, that was I wasn't even on the A team when I was uh, when I was that young. I actually started my uh, traveling basketball career playing on the D team, which was like the, all the players that got cut. They made a team. so I was on that team for all the players that got cut and that was another thing that you could probably say gave me a lot of drive because I mean I I literally was on the team of all the guys that didn't make any teams (laughs) that was like the first year they made a D team so I was on the fifth grade D team next year guess what I made the C team so not even the A team (laughs) so I finally actually made a legit team but it was C then seventh grade made the B team and then guess what I made eighth grade a team. D team again. <laughs> oh, no, 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 not the D, but yeah, for sure the A. Yeah. So I, so I made the A team, and it's funny you mentioned Graham Woodward. Graham Woodward is one of my you know best friends going back to elementary school, uh, high school. We've stayed in contact. I actually saw him just the other day. He lives also in Edina, obviously, and uh, he came up to visit his family, so I, I hung out with him a little bit at six feet, of course. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank yep, you. yep. Good here. But, uh, yeah, but he was actually probably one of the main reasons for me wanting to, you know, be on that, on the A team because he was one of the most talented players going back to fifth grade. Like there was the other players on the A team that were good, but he was the one that was like the star. Mm -hmm. 
So I always kind of wanted to like play with him, especially since he was such a good guard. And obviously since I'm a post, it's, it helps to have a good guard on your team. So yeah. when I made that D team, C team and B team, I really just wanted to get on the, the A team just so I could play with Graham. And so finally I did. And me and him be, become good buds ever since. And then, uh, obviously my whole going to Jefferson for two years after eighth grade, you know, Edina doesn't have ninth grade in high school and middle school. I was kind of struggling with, uh, grades and I kind of just wanted to switch up the scene. My family, uh, is a big Jefferson family. My dad went to Jefferson and they kind of wanted me to not have to stay in middle school another year at Edina. Mm-hmm. And so I actually made that switch to Jefferson where I was able to play varsity uh, in ninth grade and sophomore year. Mm. But I just didn't really like the whole fit at Jefferson. I mean, it was great to go straight to high school and not to be in middle school another year. But just that whole Edina family and the whole vibe was just way better at Edina to me. And so I actually made the switch back and got to – be on the varsity team at Edina for junior and senior year and it was amazing to be able to reconnect with my old old friends and teammates and play with Graham again and that senior year was absolutely amazing because me and Graham had really taken shape in becoming you know top players in the state not just you know young really young talents mm-hmm. and that that year you guys your senior year I believe you guys beat Hopkins three times. Is that right? Yes, and that's a perfect thing to bring up right now, especially yeah. since we since we started the the conversation with me getting smacked by Hopkins <laughs> by forty points when I was in fifth grade. It was a it was a great great feeling to beat Hopkins three times that year, mm-hmm. two times in the regular season and uh, in the conference finals, which had never been done since like the nineties. Yeah. So that was absolutely an amazing accomplishment for us. Yeah, I was looking at it. Was, I think it was the first time Edina had beat Hopkins in, in 20 years, I thought, I, was what I saw. I mean, to be able to do it for the first time in 20 years, but not only once, three times in one year, that has to feel pretty good. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing. Like, obviously, I'm playing pro, and I've done so many things since then, but those are, that's still one of the greatest feelings to me, just giving Hopkins the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for people who really aren't familiar with the Lake Conference and how competitive it is, Hopkins, you know, kind of has a stronghold, I would say, historically on that conference. They're the powerhouse basketball team from Minnesota. They're, you know, probably the most hated team in in terms of basketball. People want to beat them uh, because they're always the best, at least a lot of the times are. So beating Hopkins is a huge deal, especially doing it that many times. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Lake Conference, you got Eden Prairie, you got Minnetonka, you got Edina, you got Hopkins. And Hopkins is the one. You might. You, uh, is there another team in there? I'm not sure. You're missing Wyzetta. <laughs> oh yeah, Wyzetta. Yeah, Wyzetta is good. <laughs> but Hopkins is definitely the one you want to beat. I mean, Edina's got our whole hockey legacy, but other than that, we kind of struggle in most most other sports. Um, but definitely, Hopkins is like the team where they get on national TV because they have players that are high prospects and. You know, they actually wanted me to go to Hopkins at one point. Like, as I started to emerge as a good player, like my junior year, some of my uh, friends that I knew from Hopkins, they were trying to get me to go there. But hmm. I just wasn't because, I mean, they, you know, they do a good amount of recruiting. They just try to act like they don't, but they definitely do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- <laughs> but, yeah, uh, for sure do, yeah. Yeah, but 
some of my friends from there, uh, they were, they were like, Reg, just come to Hopkins. I mean, join us. But I was just an Edina guy for life, and I'm still uh, repping Edina to the day I die. Uh, I still I live in Edina. This is where I'm staying during the quarantine. So I, I told them, now nah, I'm going to stay in Edina. And then uh, at the end of the year, even though we didn't win the state tournament, I mean, we, we placed third, and that's still like the farthest we've made uh, since the 90s. And I think it's the farthest we've made since then, yeah. since 2013. So it's a great, great uh, feeling to be a part of that. Yeah, I'm definitely with you, Reggie, when you're talking about beating Hopkins. I'm gonna, I gotta add this in real quick because I went to Wyzetta. So first, thanks for leaving us out. <laughs> oh, my, my, I'm sorry, bro. I'm no, sorry, I forgot about your school. <laughs> you're good, and I, I played basketball all throughout high school as well. And it was our team that beat Hopkins for the first time in 27 years for Wyzetta. I'm sure when you guys, when you played Wyzetta, we were absolutely horrible. So it's cool to see how Wyzetta's come along the way, and that we got to beat Hopkins just like you. And that's something that I'll remember forever too. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, no matter what you do after after uh, high school, you may have some great accomplishments, but those high school accomplishments are some of the most memorable to me, for yep. sure. Yep, you'll never forget them. All right, moving away from high school basketball and going into college, what was your recruiting process like? What schools were you considering? Yeah, so as I said, I mean, I didn't really emerge as, like, one of the top Minnesota players until, like, real late. Like, you think of, like, Tyus Jones and – other players like Graham Woodward, Reed Travis, Rashad Vaughn. I mean, a lot of these players were playing, you know, varsity when they were in like eighth grade or something, mm-hmm. uh, or or were like top top prospects in the in the state at like fifth grade. And I really didn't become you know someone to look out for maybe until eighth grade. But then even then, I didn't really become like one of the top dogs until like maybe even junior year. So I was really like under recruited. But I wouldn't say that I didn't deserve it because since I, you know, was emerging so late, I felt like I was really good. But at the same time, there was so much more to learn. And now looking back, I, I'm not going to say that I was cheated out of some, you know, schools, but I'm definitely going to say that um, the potential was there, but a lot of schools didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like I didn't show it. Yeah. And, and so I had a lot of mid-major schools. My first uh, school was actually D2, and obviously I felt like I was better than that. Um, some of the schools uh, include uh, LaSalle, South Dakota State, Missouri State, uh, Drake, which is a school that Graham ended up going to. Yep. Um, not out of high school, but he ended up transferring there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a few other schools, but they're all kind of, you know, mid-majors, but still good schools, of course. Because, I mean, it doesn't really matter where you go to school. As long as you put in that work while you're there, you can still make it. And you but said – go ahead. Yeah but, the, yeah, but the school that ended up recruiting me was uh, – or that I ended up going to was Illinois State. And Illinois State – I mean, Illinois, I mean, it's two hours away from Chicago, so it's not like I was going to be spending a lot of time in Chicago. But I just always respected the state of Illinois. Obviously, my, my favorite color is red. So, I mean, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not Edina Green, but favorite color is red. So, I really just wanted to wear that red jersey at Illinois State. Um, and, I mean, it was, it was just felt like a good fit. But the main thing that actually got me to want to go there was my assistant coach, uh, who actually made the visit to recruit me. His name was Tori Ward. And 
Tori Ward actually uh, died in a plane crash uh, two, uh, after my second year there. And so that was actually really tough for me while I was there. I mean, we can go back to that. I, I have a, a whole story I can tell you about that. Um, but just my, my, uh, the assistant coach, uh, Tori Ward, who, who ended up dying, he was the man who really showed me the love, showed me the school, was really like a good mentor for me. Um, and so based off of just him alone, it made me want to go to Illinois State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I read that too. I, I saw that I think Ward and a couple other administration people from Illinois State, they were coming back from the national championship game um, in Indianapolis, I believe, on a pretty small plane, and they crashed just two miles outside of campus right before they were about to land. I mean, what, what was that like for you, hearing that news at a time when you were considering transferring back to Minnesota or just transferring in general? How hard was that news to take? Yeah, I mean, it was it was really really hard. I mean, I'll I'll get into that in a second. The uh, the whole the whole thing um, with me being at Illinois State. I mean, it was my first uh, time chance to play pro or not pro play uh, in college, and so it was a huge step up uh, from high school. And I found that out early. Uh, and like I said, I was really uh, un- under recruited, and you know, was a real raw talent. And I really found my way my first two years at Illinois State and became a uh, freshman, uh, all-freshman team, all-defensive team. Um, and then my second year, before I ended up transferring, I was all-conference, all-tournament, helped Illinois State make it to um, the conference finals. And so my second year really projected me or propelled me to, you know, not just a, a decent college player, but like one of the really good, like higher level conference players, especially as a center. And when I wanted to leave Illinois State, it wasn't because of anything wrong with Illinois State. Uh, my two years there were amazing, and all the teammates, like, you don't know these names, but I want to just give them shout outs Paris Lee, Tony Wills, Mikhail McIntosh, Deshaun Knight, uh, Devon Akun Purcell, all guys that are playing professionally now, uh, Teddy Hawkins, all these guys are great great guys and I didn't want to leave them but the dream was always to play for University of Minnesota uh, the, the home school the only D- division one school in the whole state and when I finally told my head coach that I wanted to leave they really pushed back ha- hard on me because they were they were you know giving me the whole you know we were the ones who believed in you out of high school um, we, we feel like you know you belong here we, we really want you, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. So every single coach on the Illinois State staff and, and the players really wanted me to stay. But the one coach who actually didn't see it as like a selfish decision was Tory Ward. And Tory Ward was the one who recruited me. And he sat me down after I had had multiple meetings with the head coach, other coaches, other staff, other players. They all really just wanted me to stay because they knew that I was important to them. But Tory Ward was the one coach who was actually real with me. And he told me, he said, hey, man, that would be, be a crazy thing to play in the Big Ten. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, that's not even the thing. It's just home. He said, yeah, man, hey, don't worry about what the head coach is saying. Don't worry about what anyone's saying. Do what you feel is best for you, and I'll be your biggest supporter no matter what. So he gave me that talk really like two or three days 
before I saw that he had died in the plane crash mm-hmm. and how, and now how that happened was, you know, I, I was in the middle of our season, our second season being over and I had the meetings with the players and the coaches and we were all sitting, we we're all uh, at our dorms asleep in our apartments, just asleep. And then six in the morning, we get a text from our coach and you know, when you get a text from the coach at six in the morning, it's not good. It's usually, but it's, but it's usually like running. Like, oh, come to the gym. We got to run. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we were all like, oh shoot, what do we got to do? We got to, you know, run sprints for an hour. So we all woke up mad. But when we left our apartments, we all walked out and saw so much fog, mm. like like an unreal amount of fog. And I'm gonna say this just just for uh, general general talk. If you're flying and you see fog, dude, land that plane immediately. Because after seeing Kobe and all this other stuff, fog is really just terrible yeah. when it comes to flying. So it's crazy. We walked out of our apartment. My apartment's literally one block away from the arena, and I couldn't see the arena. That's how much fog there was. Wow, jeez. So we walk out the we could we walk out the apartment. Me and like three other teammates who live in the dorms together. We walk into the arena and we're just sitting there ten minutes. Finally, the head coach walks in crying, and he tells us the, a plane plane went down. Tory Ward was in it, and other other Illinois State uh, staff staff members. And I mean, the entire team just started falling and just losing it. I mean, we couldn't believe it, and it's crazy because he was the man who was real with me like three days prior, telling me to now listen to everybody else and was actually on my side when it came to wanting to go to University of Minnesota. So, I mean, obviously, that was extremely tough and important in my decision leaving Illinois State and coming to Minnesota. A lot of my teammates really wanted me to see it as, you know, Tory Ward died, uh, you should do right by him and stay at Illinois State. But I just remember the words he told me before, like the last words he told me before he, he had passed were, you know, follow your dreams. I'll be your biggest supporter. And I just wanted to do, do right by his words. Mm-hmm. So it was like a week or two later, I decided I was going to transfer to University of Minnesota. Sorry, that was a lot, a lot no. now, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's No, thank you. We, we really appreciate you uh, telling us that story. And, you know, the coach sounds like a coach who truly cares about his player, even when it's not going to be- benefit him or the university. And that's all you can ask for as a player. It sounds like a wonderful yeah. man, and we appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, RIP to him and, and everything. I mean, he was really one of the real ones for sure. Well, let's yeah. lighten up the tone, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just to wrap it up, I mean, to, to, to have a coach who cares more about his players than his only likelihood in some sense because he's coaching for his job, and his job is to win basketball games. He's a lot better at doing that when, he, when you're on his side. But to put that aside and to say, no, I, I want you to do what's best for you, that's – that's pretty special. Uh, and so you finish up your second year in the Missouri Valley Conference. You have a big year. I think you were all conference. I, I don't know if that's for sure, but I'm, I thought you were all conference. Um, and yep. you guys get a big win over Wichita State uh, in the conference tournament semifinals. Uh, I mean, that, that had to be one of the best wins for you guys that season, knocking off uh, a powerhouse like Wichita State and really just kind of putting the cap on your time at, at Illinois State. It's you know, a great stepping stone towards Minnesota. So when yeah, you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think of my basketball career 
at least, I wouldn't say 100%, but overall, I would like to think of each year, not as a stepping stone in a disrespectful way, but just as like a year of improvement in every facet. And, I mean, when I when I tell you all the way back to fifth grade that I was on the D team, and then by the time I was in eighth grade, I was on the, the A team, and then I finally am playing varsity uh, by the time I'm a senior, and then, you know, going to Illinois State, which is a mid-major, then Minnesota, which is a high major. I mean, I just, I just see my my whole career is just every year, whether no matter what what's happening, I feel like every year has been an improvement, at least in some way. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, not only was playing at home, you know, for the state of Minnesota and representing, you know, my home, a big part of me wanted to go, but just feeling like every year was like an improvement towards getting better at my game because obviously Illinois State's a great school, but Big Ten is big time competition mm-hmm. and you leave I that really m- wanted to be a part of that yeah and you leave that mid-major school in Illinois State and then come to the Gophers obviously Big Ted Conference and then you have to sit out a year per the transfer rule how difficult was it to sit out an entire year without being injured just to watch your teammates play the Gophers play being entirely healthy yeah it was I mean I knew what I was getting into a lot of talk was thrown around to make me want to stay at Illinois State just talking about how you know, that, that year of sitting out uh, can be a productive year, a productive year, but it can also be an unproductive year depending on what I do. Yeah. And that was kind of the talk from the Illinois State coaches saying, like, you know, it's never good to lose a year of plan, no matter how hard you work. And I, and I just thought of it as a year to prepare myself for the next level of competition, the higher level. Mm-hmm. And so even though it was really tough, I really just took it as a year to just, you know, improve my body, get stronger, get faster, improve the shooting, and that's basically what I did every day. I mean, I can only practice, and so I just spent most of my time in the gym. Mm -hmm. And the one thing, though, that was tough about that that year is how bad we were. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was rough. The actual actual not playing wasn't wasn't the problem because (laughs) – what I was watching that year was pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we and, remember that too. Yep, yep. I mean, I, I, I still uh, see that year as a rebuilding year, so I don't want to, you know, talk too bad about them. I mean, a lot of those players that are on that team when we went, I think, 8 and like 24, which is like the worst record in Gopher history. I watched all of those games and was, was with my teammates uh, just – trying to, you know, keep them positive and telling them, like, hey, uh, this is just just um, get your reps in, learn from this. This is all just, you know, something to learn from. Because a lot of the teammates, uh, you know, Jordan Murphy was only a freshman, one of the, one of our best players uh, down the line. And Mason was only a sophomore. A lot of our really good players uh, were just really young, so they just needed to learn. But it was still really tough to watch that year, especially since I knew how how much I could help them as a, such a defensive presence. Yeah. And I read about how you and Devontae Fitzgerald really developed your relationship during that year off, and I think you guys became quite good friends uh, sitting out that year together. He was transferring from Texas A&M, so you guys were both out for the entire year. And then once you once you both are eligible to play – 2016 rolls around. I think it's in the first few weeks. Devontae Fitzgerald blows out his knee, uh, and he's done for the year. I mean, was it was it tough to see your buddy and your teammate, who you just 
you know, gone through this whole year off with and, and trained with and practiced with, and then you finally get your chance to get on the court and he gets injured uh, in the first few weeks. How hard was that to take? Man, there are a lot of hey, tough moments we're bringing up. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry to bring hey, up the tough no. moments. I'm sorry. No, hey, don't worry. But just going back to Devon, me and Devontae's relationship, I actually played against Devontae when he, when he was at Texas A&M when I was, and when I was at Illinois State. I didn't remember him really. I mean, we played against each other, but I, we didn't. I just remember him based off the scouting report. But uh, by the time I had realized that he had transferred in with me and knew that I would have another buddy to you know sit out together with, and it wouldn't just be me. Uh, me and him just became really good friends, and you know he comes to a lot of my family, uh, you know Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas stuff. So he's really become a good bud of mine. Um, so throughout the year, me and him were in the gym together putting in work and trying to keep each other positive, especially since we were watching our, our team lose every day. Yeah. <laughs> so we were just telling, <laughs> we were just telling each other like, Hey man, we got to prepare because these, these bros are going to need us next year for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, but yeah, by the time, uh, the year that me and him were both able to play rolled around, me and him were ready to go and, you know, ready to contribute. And it was literally like one week before practice, like official games would start where we see Devontae, uh, we were playing like five on five, just like, you know, up and down, like no coaches just for fun. And Devontae just does a move like going for a dunk and he just loses his footing. And just, we just hear, we just hear him hit the ground hard. Like, I, I don't even think I, I was on the court at that time. I think, you know, I was sitting out cause my team had lost the previous game. So I was sitting out and I just heard him smack the floor and start screaming, mm. and we were all just like, no, 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 stop mm. it, no. We just yeah. couldn't believe it. Because no one screams that loud unless it's something bad. Yeah. <laughs> I've never screamed that loud ever in a basketball game, and I need to knock on some wood right now. <laughs> yeah, we will too with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so we were just hoping for the best. The trainer came out and, and picked him up and walked him off, um, and then by the, by the end of the night, I had, I was home with my family because, you know, after school and practice, I just go home to Edina sometimes. So I was just with my family, mother, brother, couple, my two cousins, my, my aunts, we were just all together. And I get the text from the trainer to all the players and he tells us Devonte has torn ACL, will be out for the entire season. And I literally just like dropped my phone and like hit the ground, just like start bawling. Mm. Like that was probably... Besides, like Tory Ward dying was probably the last time I had cried, and then that was probably the next time I cried. Yeah, <laughs> and so that was yeah. I mean, that was really tough because me and him were ready to, you know, do damage together. Yeah, but you know, we 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 picked him up and made sure we knew he was okay, gave him love, and just you know, we're there for him for the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. And at least for him, he got to watch us have a, a successful season that year right yeah instead of instead of a terrible one the year before yeah exactly. so it was, it was good for him to see what i was able to bring for sure and how the the freshmen had improved to as really good sophomores the next year yeah and i imagine you guys i i think you're allowed to practice so i imagine you guys just destroyed on the scout team that year you had to sit out is that true oh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, me and me and Devante would come on to the court as like you know the players that just like helped out the helped out the team, 
we were just beating them. <laughs> and we were like, damn, we really need to help these pros next year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, I mean, I'm not going to give all of us the credit. I mean, Nate Mason was emerging as a good sophomore that year, and by the time he was a junior, he really became one of the top players. Jordan Murphy was a really good freshman, but he just needed some help, and I was the help. I came to, I came to help him out down low, and then he emerged as a really good sophomore, and then Amir came that year, so Amir really helped us out big time. So, I mean, our, our team was just really, really good. We also had Akeem Springs, who became a good friend of mine. He's still a friend to this day, and he transferred in. So, I mean, a lot of a lot of our uh, teammates were really contributing, not just me. Yeah, and in that season, you were named the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. A terrific season for the Gophers, make it all the way to the NCAA tournament. I think you had 114 blocks, a school record. Is that right? Yeah, but I'm pretty sure they probably didn't count like 15 of my blocks. But it's okay. <laughs> there were there were a lot of games after after games. I would look at the stat sheet. I'm like, oh wait, three? I had like five. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> we'll but, give you 130. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, I broke a couple records, most most blocks in a single game, uh, which was or no, I think I tied that record, most blocks in a single game, which was. Held by Michael Thompson, yep. Clay Thompson's dad. Hmm. He had that record, so me and him have that tied right now. Cool. Good uh, company and then to I be broke with the, right there. Very good, yeah. And then I broke the single season, so great accomplishment. And I really, when we were all sitting in uh, our locker room watching ESPN announce those, uh, those awards, I was, my, my butterflies were going in my stomach because <laughs> I really thought I was going to get it, but I wasn't sure because there, were a lot, there was a lot of good talent that year. Mm. but they it was very uh not not lucky but i mean it was good timing because it was like a few weeks before they were giving out those awards where where i actually broke the single season record so it was only like a couple weeks before where they like towards the end of the season so i think that stuck in their minds a little bit so i got lucky yeah and as we yeah. said, uh, the Gophers that year made to the NCAA tournament. But just to give those listeners who are listening uh, more information about the two seasons back-to-back, 2015, 16, 2016, 17, the year you sat out, the Gophers went 8-23 and and 2-16 and in the Big Ten Conference. And then a year later, 24-10 and and 11-7 and in the conference. One of the biggest turnarounds in college basketball history. My man, I'm extremely proud that you knew that stat. <laughs> I did not. I just looked it up, to be honest, but there you go. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's ne- next to, you know, for, for sure the uh, NCAA tournament, which was like the first time we made that since maybe like 2013. And so it was like, you know, four or five years without a tournament. Uh, that's obviously an amazing accomplishment. Not every college player gets to play in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So, Obviously, I'm I'm one of you know many, but not very many. Right. So it's great to say that I made it to the NCAA tournament. Um, but for sure, one of the, my top accomplishments, next to defensive player of the year, next to beating Hopkins three times, next to making the you know state tournament at Edina, is that greatest single season tournament turnaround. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and we that, can't, we can't thank you as fans enough. Yeah, <laughs> we'd love to watch. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that's pre- it's something that's carried on for the past couple of years now too, um, with the Gophers making it to the tournament again and producing big players. I know in recent years there have been a number of dominant big men for the Gophers that have come after you, including Jordan Murphy that you mentioned, and now Daniel Laturu. 
how cool is it for you now to look back and see those dominant big men uh, come after you in the Gophers program? Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of the problems that were with the Gophers before I had arrived and other players that year had arrived was just the lack of recruiting the hometown talent. And the year that I got there, we, we got also Amir, which was like a big a big steal for us because a lot of people expected him to go somewhere else yep. big, mm-hmm. uh, more big time. So, I mean, I feel like our year wasn't just a great year for Minnesota basketball, but it was like a great year for Minnesota. Just getting the getting the hometown kids to come to their to their uh, home school, not letting them get stolen by Wisconsin. Really, <laughs> yeah. not getting yeah. Wisconsin <laughs> exactly. steals them all, yeah, <laughs> or Duke or wherever. So I mean, it was great. Now I feel like we uh, that year, the year that I got there, and Amir and whatnot, we really sent a bet, set a benchmark for you know giving confidence to the hometown players. Like Daniel or Tour could have gone somewhere else big time for sure. Yep. But, but we got Kansas. him from here. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's and good. and and it, and it's great. Daniel Oturu, It's funny that like a year after I I uh, left Minnesota, everyone's talking about Daniel Oturu, and they're putting me in tweets and tagging me and stuff <laughs> like, "Oh, is Daniel Oturu going to be the best shot blocker? Better than Reggie Lynch?" <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, damn. I would have thought this would have come like 10 years later, not the next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next year, there's already a good shot blocker at Minnesota. Yeah, so geez. <laughs> I, Can't be I, happy I, with I, that. I love it. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's great to see that the good bros are finally coming to, to Minnesota. I love it. Yeah. And we do have to, we have to get into some of the serious stuff here. Obviously, how things ended at the U of M, probably not, not the way you wanted them to end for sure, not the way we as fans wanted it to end. Uh, so, but during your time at the University of Minnesota, there were three allegations against you uh, dealing with sexual misconduct. The first allegation was investi- investigated by the Hennepin County Attorney's Office and the EOAA at the U of M for five months. And both investigations uh, found you not responsible and dropped the charges. The other two cases uh, were investigated 18 months later after the alleged incident uh, by the EOAA. And they found that you were responsible uh, in these other two allegations. You expressed uh, issues with how they handled that investigation, uh, and I think your lawyer did as well. You know, what are your feelings about that now? Yeah, man. I mean, like I like I said to you, I, I feel like every year of my career has been an improvement year, but the one year that just really just puts a dent in it is the 2017-2018 season back. In my first year playing for the Gophers, the, the year that I had sat out, um, or, you know, the summer that I had sat out before my first year, uh, I was arrested actually almost exactly four years ago um, on, on May 8th. That's a, a date that I'll, you know, it's like a traumatizing date for me. It's really a date that I'll never forget because it's the first time I've ever been arrested. And, you know, a girl had said that, I had assaulted her and I got arrested and I went to jail and I was there for three days and the whole investigation went on for the entire time I was in jail and it was completely a a false, false allegation. I did not even think that I would ever be in that position in my entire life. I treat all women with respect and I mean, it's, it was, it was just absolutely blasphemous 
made even worse by the fact that the the next day was Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. The day I was arrested, you know, my mother found out. My brother just uh, was luckily able to get that get the message to the family that I was, you know, arrested. And you know, I, I they gave me a phone call from jail, and the call I made uh, was to my mother, and I told her like the first thing I said to her was, "Mom, you know." I'm really sorry. I'm missing Mother's Day right now. I think I'm, they're going to be investigating me for the next three days. Um, and she just knew. Well, she said, "Don't worry about it. We'll celebrate next week." And I said, "Okay, okay. Don't worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you something nice." And so that was extremely saddening for me um, to miss Mother's Day. And uh, I just when I got arrested, I mean, it was just terrible because I knew I was not guilty, but there was nothing I could do about it. I just had to hope that the evidence would clear my name. I mean, it's, it's a traumatizing situation. But after the police had uh, looked over it, they found that there was nothing to it. So I was able to, you know, go back to school, but I had to wait for the school to investigate. Um, and throughout that summer, before my, my first season with the Gophers had started, I was uh, not able to practice with the team, but not – Luckily, but uh, coincidentally, I had actually suffered a shoulder injury um, about a month before I was arrested, and I was still recovering from that shoulder injury uh, all the way up until the beginning of the season. Um, So I would have been, you know, not practicing anyways. Mm -hmm. So I did, it wasn't like, you know, it didn't help that I couldn't practice because of the investigation, but I wouldn't have been practicing anyways. So kind of decent timing with that but after the school had uh finally concluded that it was nonsense and there was nothing to it um they told me or they announced that i would you know there was a i was not responsible and so they let me play so i was just i only had like one more week before my you know recovery was over my my rehabilitation time was over so i i got the not responsible announcement like one week before. So I was able to start practicing with a team. And then we had the amazing season my first year. By the second year, we were gearing up because we had just come off an amazing year and we had most of the players back. So we were ready to, you know, make some, do some more damage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we got, we, that was the first time we got ranked top 25 yeah. uh, since 20, 2013, I think. And uh, so we were, we had high hopes for the 2017, 2018 season. And I was starting it off really, really, really good. Um, we, you know, we were, we stayed in the top 25 all the way up until my coach had called me into the office and said that there's a girl that's um, accusing me from before the day that I got arrested. And so I was like, what? There's just absolutely no way. And then, like a couple of days later, he told me, he called me in his office again. And he said, "There's another girl that is." And I, I was like, "Okay, there's, there's, there's a nightmare. Like, what is going on right now? I don't even understand." And so, when they announced that I was going to be investigated again for um, misconduct that went all the way back to, you know, April of uh, 2016, I. Once again, couldn't practice. I had to watch my team start losing again. 
kind of similar to the year that I had set out. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, just absolutely devastating because once again, I knew I was innocent, so there's nothing I could do about it. Yeah. And the only, and the, the whole thing that I had to go through with lawyers and the school uh, to uh, have them tell me I wasn't responsible for a year and a half prior, I would have to do again, but double because there was two of them. And the money and the time and the stress was just too much. And so I was there uh, going to law offices every other I couldn't even go to, like the coach just told me, um, if, if it's better to not even, because they, they wanted me to watch practice. And I was telling them, like, I, I just don't even think I can be here because it's just too traumatizing. And they said, don't worry, uh, we'll, we'll be fine. Um, go to, go to the lawyer offices, be with your family, figure this out and we'll be waiting for you. And it was just so sad because that was the year we were supposed to be really, really good and I couldn't help them. So I just, every, every passing week, it would just be another loss, another loss, another loss. And it was just, it was terrible. And so I finally came to the decision that I wasn't going to fight this anymore, even though I had evidence that showed that I was innocent. I just didn't think the time would be worth it because I, I was thinking, you know, I fight it through the appeals and in the end I'll, you know, be back on the team. But by that time, our hopes of the tournament are going to be over. I'm going to have, you know, some people who won't ever believe me. So I'll be playing games with people booing me maybe. Or, you know, even, even more things that I can worry about. Like, people might even try to attack me. Who knows? So, I just said, you know, when they found me responsible, it, it, it took me, you know, two or three weeks um, to finally decide. But I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to accept their, their decision and just pursue my, bas- my career, which is what I would have had to do after my senior season. But instead, I'm just going to do it now because... I don't see a point in trying to fight because obviously the Me Too movement was extremely, extremely powerful and big uh, during that time. And, you know, I've heard of other players at different schools who are falsely accused. And obviously the Me Too movement is an important movement. There's real cases that um, the Me Too movement has, you know, uncovered that are actually true. And so obviously I give respect to it, but, at the same time, it's just as bad to be falsely accused as it is to, you know, have it happen to you, have a have a an assault or a misconduct act happen to you. So, I just feel for some of the other players that have been through um, what I've been through. Just getting falsely accused just completely ruins your life. If not forever, then at least for a few years. And I still have scars from that. Um, but yeah, I came to the decision that I was going to leave the school. So that means I was able to accept that that uh that decision and just not be worried about it anymore and just get to work, which is what I wanted to do. Yeah, and after all that, how how good did it feel to be getting back to work? I think it's a year later. You're in Europe. You're playing professional basketball. That had to feel pretty good. Yeah, I mean it. It felt good once I got to Europe. It did not feel good. Um, I left the school February. The decision had come out early January, so it was like a month almost of 
or maybe yeah, more than a month of me deciding what I was going to do because the decision of responsible had came out early January doing, doing lawyer stuff and figuring stuff out for a month. And then after that, I had to go train. So there was a lot of months before, before I actually got to Europe. You're, I, I got to my first team in August, but February, I actually ended up going to um, Arizona just to, you know, relax a little bit. I went there with my, my family, and we just, you know, we knew that I had been through a lot of stress, so my family said, you know what, we're going to go to Arizona and just kick back a little bit and just get, you, get your mind ready to get back to work. I went to Arizona for only three, four days. And then straight to New York. New York is actually where my mother's from. And I still have family members that live there. Um, so I actually ended up going to stay with uh, my uncle, who's from New York. And I was there training with him for two, two months. Literally waking up 6 a.m. every day on, uh, on 121st Street, taking a 45-minute train down to Wall Street, going to the gym, that we know there going to the basketball court. So I was putting in like three, four hours of work every morning, waking up at 6am and then eating, eating right every day. So I was really grinding, just trying to get in the professional mode. Yep. And what was that process? Go ahead, Reggie. Sorry. No, 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 you go ahead. I was just going to say, what was that process like more focusing like on the basketball aspects now of European ball um, compared to pro ball over here? But what, was there a combine or anything, or did you have to go to workout for specific teams? Is there a draft? How did that whole process work for you when you left New York and got to Europe? Oh, yeah. Well, don't worry, my friend. We will get to that. So, <laughs> Patience, so, young so, so after two months of uh, training with my uncle, who's a real old school, you know, Apollo Creed, Rocky type dude, like okay. he had me running around chasing the chickens and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> He's a real old school dude. So he was putting me through the ringer when I was there, going to doing playground workouts and, and stuff. So I was really just getting in that old school, like professional mind mindset. After two months in New York, straight from New York, to Las Vegas to train for okay. uh, the, the Impact Basketball uh, Basketball Club, and Impact is a, a very well-known training facility where uh, a lot of great players. Troy Brown Jr. Uh, was there. Uh, Christian Wood, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, Jacob Evans, Gary Trent actually ended up going there too. While mm -hmm. I was there, I, I was there for two months, but then Gary Trent came for a couple weeks. Um, so a lot of guys who you know are finishing up at college and also like pros and guys that are in Europe. A lot of guys train there. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins was there. I, I trained with him a little bit. Oh, wow. uh, I trained, I trained with, um, Jared Dudley. Uh, <laughs> so I, I trained with a lot of, you know, a lot of names. Um, but I was there for two months and, uh, I didn't end up doing the NBA draft combines because unfortunately the entire, uh, thing that had happened to me that year kind of, hurt those chances because NBA teams were not too excited to have someone who had been accused of sexual misconduct at their, their camp. Yep. So I had, I kind of had to do my own things and that's why I went to New York and then went to impact impact was getting me into not just a great center, but just a great professional player. I was doing way more shooting drills and way more agility drills than I'd ever done in my life. So it really prepared me well for the professional professional season coming up to me. And so after two months 
in New York and then two months in Las Vegas. Then I went to Miami and oh. down in Miami. So world tour here, yeah, really <laughs> going all across the oh, US. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. So, so I, so I actually, uh, when I was in New York, I lived with my uncle in Las Vegas. I lived in an apartment that the impact, uh, basketball organization set me up with. But when I went to, um, when I went to Miami, by that time, me and my family members had started up a management company called FFA. And I stayed with one of the FFA members. When I got to uh, New York, I was, uh, me and my family, uh, who was all, you know, based in New York, we had come up with the idea of starting a management company of our own. And by the time I was in Miami, three, four months later, it was starting to take shape. And so um, when we, when I was down in Miami, I was staying with another family member um, and he put me in the Miami Pro-Am. And the Miami Pro-Am is, you know, a Pro-Am similar to like Drew League and all these other leagues, Dykeman League. And, you know, it's got top players there, like even more top players than what I said at Impact. But the difference is Impact is very, you know, training and, you know, uh, really professionally focused. Miami uh, Pro-Am was a lot more laid back. So I was playing actually five-on-five games against Hassan Whiteside, Andre Drummond, um, Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. Wow. I played against um, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Mm. I played against uh, so many good players. I mean, like, we're talking some of the top players in the NBA right now. Yeah. yeah. How'd you fare against is, them? I did quite well. I mean, nice. I, I, do have, I do have a video uh, on my Instagram somewhere of me, you know, crossing over Andre Drummond. Ooh. I didn't make the shot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I crossed him over. He fell to the ground. Oh. Um, but then, unfortunately, I didn't make the shot. Ooh. Oh, that's but, a... Cut <laughs> yeah, out that so part. What, <laughs> yeah, you just cut the, yeah, cut yeah. the tape early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, I blocked a lot of guys. I'm a really good shot blocker. I mean, I won Defensive Player of the Year for a reason. I'm one of the best shot blockers who's ever played in college basketball. I'm still really good at, at the pro level. And uh, I blocked. I got a, a lot of blocks on some of those guys, and I was scoring well. Obviously, the the two months in Las Vegas where I was doing shooting drills that really helped with my shooting. So I was actually knocking down some jumpers and some threes in Miami. So it was really good. Mm. Um, but there weren't as many people watching, like NBA NBA coaches or anything like that. All the NBA coaches actually watched me in, in Las Vegas. And when I was in Las Vegas for two months. I didn't. I, I was there all the way until the first pro day, and the pro day happened on my last day. I was there, and you know, uh, Minnesota head coach was there. A lot of scouts for Golden State and Miami, and a lot of teams were all there. So it was a really, uh, it was a really fun time being there, and especially on that big stage, getting getting watched by all these NBA, all the all these NBA teams. It was it was it was amazing. And obviously, two months being there, it really helped my game. So I, I showed out for him. And then from there, did you go to California, doing the whole U.S. tour, <laughs> hit LA for a few months? Nope, nope, no. I did not go to California, but that might be the plan this summer. We'll see. Okay. okay. Hopefully, hopefully, coronavirus uh, calms down and I can get out to the the facility out there. But um, in Miami, it was actually the time when I, you know, I had signed to my uh, agent back when I was in New York and my agent uh, knew that my family was going to be um, was going to be starting a management team. 
So my management team and my agent ended up working together to help me find teams. Um, and so by the time I got to Miami, I had had offers from, you know, Latvia, Lithuania, Greece, you know, Germany, Spain, Italy teams, a whole bunch of teams. But I felt that I ended up signing to a team in Estonia, which plays in one of the top leagues overseas. I didn't even know what Estonia was. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. Somewhere by Russia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It actually used to be a part of Russia. It okay. was owned by Russia during the Soviet time. Okay. And it's, you know, right across from Sweden, right across the, the okay. uh, right across the sea. Okay. Gotcha. Yep, yep, yep. So not many black people there. <laughs> <laughs> the only people, black people there are the basketball team. Oh, yeah. that's funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, so, yeah, I, I ended up going with the Estonia team because, you know, I, I was just in college and I had a, you know, a, a traumatic thing happened to me. So my mind was not really focused as much as it could should have been. By the time I, uh, you know, went to New York and Las Vegas, I started to try and learn about this European, uh, this whole European basketball. Because obviously my goal is to play in the NBA. It was and still is. But my, my, my heart was really set on the NBA uh, after my senior year. And unfortunately, the allegations kind of hurt that. So I kind of had to shift and start trying to understand this European thing. So by the time I was in Miami and I was, you know, learning what the good leagues are and like, you know, how, who does what, who plays where, yada, yada. I had learned that my Estonia team would actually probably be a really good fit. And the reason being is because they play in a league. They they play in a league called the VTB. I'm not really sure to call it some Russian stuff, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, that VTB is basically called, is basically the Russian league. Okay. And obviously Russia is, you know, a big time country. We don't, American, America doesn't really like Russia, but for basketball, Russia is quite good. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically a league that includes Estonia, Russia, Latvia, Lithuania, Kazakhstan, Belarus, and Poland. So the best teams, the, the best singular team from each of those countries play in this league. Hmm. And, six of the top Russian teams play in this league. So there's, you know, those, that's a lot of surface area on, on the world map. Yeah. So think of the top players from all those countries playing in this league. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So, so, I mean, this league encompasses, uh, mostly players from each respective country. Like my, my Estonia team had eight Estonians on it and five Americans. And so how, how it works is in these European teams, they allow five foreigners. And when they say foreigners, that means people that aren't from the country. Mm-hmm. That's where the team is. Okay. So my team ended up having five Americans on it. But earlier in the year, it had three Americans, one uh, Belarus, and one Serbian. So, I mean, we had like five guys that weren't from Estonia, but we weren't, they weren't all Americans. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But I mean, it was extremely like everyone told me the top leagues overseas are the Euro league. Of course, Euro league is basically the NBA in Europe. Mm -hmm. There's, uh, you know, Spanish league, Italian league, French league, German league, Russian league. So I was for sure one of the top like 10, maybe even top five leagues in the entire world. 
Wow. It's quite a lot of knowledge to learn, my yeah. friend. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. We're, we're trying to do our research about the two teams that you've played for in the leagues that you've been in Europe, and we could not find a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot out there. And not a whole lot in English either. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, thank you yeah. for going into depth for that. It will help us out for sure and the listeners. Yeah, and trust me, I can go way more in depth, but <laughs> we'd be here forever. <laughs> what would you say the biggest difference between playing college basketball in the U.S. and then going over to Europe and playing? The biggest difference, oh man, I mean, I would for sure say the, the, the level of smartness, like how smart players are, is raised overseas. Because, I mean, you think of NBA, dudes are dunking, dudes are shooting like crazy, dudes are ISOing, dudes are just like being so strong that they can get to the basket easily. Mm-hmm. But in Europe, those players that can do that, they're just in the NBA. There aren't that many players in Europe that can do that. So they have to use the, the brain. Mm. And, and so the, the level of court awareness and, you know, reading a screen and understanding, like, when to, to shoot it because you understand that the defender is close enough. Like, there's a lot of things that European guys I give respect to because they really just understand the game, maybe even more than the NBA. Because yeah. the NBA, you don't even need to think that much. You just do what you do. Yeah, I remember hearing Kobe Bryant talk about it, um, that he said, looking back on it, he thinks that like his children and just young uh, basketball players in America should like, be taught the European way and not AAU, where it's pretty much one-on-one basketball and it's just highlighting your athletic ability. Where in European League, it's fundamentals. And you see that when European players come over, like Manu Ginobili, Luca, and other guys who aren't the most athletic but still dominate in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, absolutely I agree with Kobe. And, I mean, Kobe's my favorite player ever, so I'm going to agree with anything he says. <laughs> but uh, for sure, when you if you learn the European way, you're going to – your your level of smartness uh, to the game is going to be – much more, much, much higher than it can be learning over here. Cause they really just teach like at a certain point in America, they teach, but then they stop teaching and they just let you go. Yeah. But a uh, Europe, Europe is just teaching constantly. Even, even at, uh, I had some players that were like 38 years old on my team and they're still just teaching. Hmm. Still teaching them. So, I mean, I would hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. And I mean, uh, playing, playing in Estonia, I really learned early because, you know, I had a Lithuanian coach. I don't know if you know anything about Lithuania. Nope. But Lithuanian guys are, you know, some mean bros. (laughs) (laughs) I had a Lithuanian coach, Estonian team. I had a Serbian guy on my team at one point, and that that guy hated me for a while because I was the rookie. You know, he was was the 38-year-old Serbian point guard on the team, and he just, you know, he was like, oh, you're a rookie, you're not – you're not anything, you know, stuffing, you know, everything. You know, and I was just like, Oh man, what have I gotten into? But <laughs> did they have any tougher but, drills than running around and trying to uh, chase those chickens? <laughs> they, they didn't have uh, drills like that, but you would for <laughs> sure think Estonia does some old school stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but for sure. I, even though in the moment I really was like, man, where am I? I'm in Estonia, like the other side of the world. Like, this is like, this is insane. Like, and obviously I'm listening to, when I go to away games, I'm in Russia and I'm in like Moscow, St. Petersburg. I had a game, I had a couple games in Siberia. 
Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so wild. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm in, and then I'm in freaking uh, Kazakhstan. I mean, what do you know from Kazakhstan? That 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 Borat. Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no I was in Kazakhstan. Producer man. of potassium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yo, legitimately, I was like, yo, I am not in America. Where we ain't in Kansas anymore. <laughs> but the thing is, I think that it was the right thing for me to do because I I go from, like, you know, Miami, Las Vegas, New York, Scottsdale, a little vacation in Scottsdale. Then I go to Estonia. That's, like, a, such a 180. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, it, and it really got me in such a professional mindset way quicker than if I had gone to Italy. I played in Italy this year. If I had gone to Italy from, from Miami, I would have, I would have transitioned much slower because I would have still thought that this was a game. Like I would have thought this was all fun and fun and games. Like, Oh, I'm in Italy living life, yada, yada. But no, I went to Estonia had a Lithuanian coach who was yelling at my ass every day, had a Siberian point guard who was pissing me all the time. And I was in Russia and all these snowy places. It was ridiculous. But I, I, I smartened up so quick and I learned that, you know, basketball is fun. I don't want to ruin any, any kid that I want to inspire that I, you know, that's looking up to me. Basketball is fun. <laughs> but once you get to the professional level, it's still fun, but it's work a lot of work and you have to understand once you get to the professional level, you got to treat this like, you know, your job a nine to five, mm-hmm. you got to clock in. If you show up late, you're getting fined. If you talk back to the coach, he might still find you. If you're doing, if you're, uh, you know, you can't be drinking like in, in college, you, you want to, uh, after practice, go, go out, have a drink, you know, go to practice and you're like, ah, oh, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll be able to, nah, it's not happening. If you go to, if you're in the pros, after practice, you want to go out have a drink. That that coach smells it on you the next day. Five hundred euro fine. Hmm. Five hundred euros gone just like that. Oh yeah, not worth it. Not worth it. And so, I I learned it real quick. Maybe a good. I mean, it depends on your definition of quick. It took me like two months. <laughs> <laughs> but in those first two months, I really just learned like, hey, you gotta you gotta really be like as professional as you've ever been with anything mm-hmm. now, especially coming off of that year where I had the allegations. I mean, for me, it was even tougher because, you know, I, there were other rookies that played with me that year. There were like two others, but they didn't, they, they just uh, ended up on the team because, you know, they were just good enough to make that team. I felt like I could have played a higher level, but unfortunately, the allegations kind of hurt me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I had to, you know, accept a lower place. I mean, Estonia was still great, but I still feel like I could have played at a higher level. But when I got there, I had to be extra, you know, careful with everything. Like, even though I'm completely not guilty for the allegations that were made against me, I still just had to be cautious of all, all things, drinking, being around girls. Cause I mean, you never know they can just accuse you and, you never know what can happen. So I just had to be professional with everything. And so the last two years I've just been in just like a mode where every day I get up, I just want to work out and just, just, just get my body right. Get my stamina up, heart rate up. Cause I know that, you know, there's guys, there's people working at the hospitals. There's people working at target now for this Corona stuff. Mm-hmm. If it would be a sin for me to not put in my work, 
because my job is professional basketball. I'm not going to just say, oh, no, let me ke- collect that unemployment check. I'm going to chill for these for this uh, corona time. But no, I'm, I'm waking up every day and just doing the exact stuff that I was doing in Italy this year. I'm just doing it at home. Right. So my, my mindset has completely changed after being in Estonia that year. And I'm, I'm grateful for it, for sure. And are you happy to be back in Minnesota now? Of course, without the circumstances that are going around, but back to your familiar home uh, once you've grown up in your whole life. Yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing to be home because I mean I've talked to so many players, uh, other other Americans that have played professionally. Like I had a few players in Estonia and a couple players in Italy. One of my players in Italy who is 30, was thirty seven this year. Uh, on my Italy team, there were only me and one other American. And the other American was a 37-year-old guard. And so he told me, he was just, you know, giving me his experience, just telling me stories about his, he's played for like 15 years professionally. And he just told me some stories and he's like, yeah, man, I mean, I don't even go home anymore when it, when the season's over. I'm like, what? There's no way. Like every time I finish the season, I want to go home and just be home all the time. Yeah. Just like do nothing else. But he's like, no, nah, man, like, my first 10 years, I wanted to go home all the time after the season was over. But now the last five years, I just, I just go around Europe and stuff. And I'm like, wow, that is nuts. Like, I would never imagine not wanting to be home. And so his mindset's like fully changed. Like, he doesn't even go home anymore in the summers. Hmm. And other guys were telling me like, yeah, man, I mean, the most, the most amount of time I, when I do go home after the season is like two weeks of like hanging out with friends. I'm like, only two weeks? He's like, yeah. I mean, if you go, if you come home and you spend more than two weeks not doing anything, you lose all that work that you put in for those 10 months. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, I want to go home and start voting on Tonker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> drink some claws or something. But he's like, nah, man, I mean, do what you want. But, if, but there's going to be another guy who's not working at all, or who's not drinking at all when he goes home. There's going to be another guy who's going home and getting right in the gym immediately. Yeah, exactly. And so, when, and so when I think of that, I'm just like, man, I do not want to be the guy who, you know, has a day and doesn't put in work because there's so many guys who would love to be a professional basketball player mm-hmm. who would love to play on my Italian team or my Estonia team. And I'm not going to let them take it. Yeah, that's a good thought process to have in, yeah. especially being a young player like you are in a new tough environment halfway across the world to, to have that conscience yeah. and think of that. Um, yep. Reggie, we're now going to move into some quick hitting questions to wrap up the interview. Um, and then we'll let you get on with your night, but just some quick, fun, easy questions to answer for you. Good with that. Absolutely. Let's do it, man. All right. What's the most amount of blocks you've had in one game? Could have been in second grade or out in Europe. <laughs> the funny thing is okay so i'm just gonna tell you so this year i had eight blocks this year okay in in estonia in estonia i had a nine block game in college the most i had was uh what was my was it 14 no how many many did they give me i thought it was 14 or 15 what i saw i don't have that written down but that's what i thought yeah whatever game you're thinking of yeah whatever game you're thinking of that was versus penn state that's when i broke the the record or tied the record that was that was the most i had in college 14 or 15 something like that and was that the most i had (laughs) was that accurate or was that your counting yeah, I mean, I think I had 18, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me 14 uh, or 15. It's okay. They were, at, we were, we were uh, in Penn State. In Penn State, had so 
so much at that point that they were just giving me the ball. <laughs> they weren't even trying. They were just shooting like nonsense. And I was like, oh, yeah, give me that again. Oh, yeah. give me that again. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the actual most I ever had is not in any record books and will never be recorded or you'll never find it because okay. it's only at, it's in Edina High School my senior year. I had 21 blocks in a game. Wow. <laughs> and, and that uh, was for sure a record. But our coach after the game was just said, hey – there's literally no record book for any like <laughs> most blocks in the game, but we're for sure just going to give that to you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Who was that against? That was against. Oh my god! For like the Vanilla Margaret's B team or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That, so that was my senior year, and I think that was against like Minneapolis Southwest. Okay, <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, and 21 and, blocks against anyone. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no matter if you're, you know, fifth grade or pro, obviously, but any age, if you get 21 blocks, you're doing something right. And I think that was really, it wasn't that day, but my senior year, like when I recorded that stat and, you know, was getting blocked, like I I averaged like seven blocks a game my senior year. When I was doing that, I mean, I kind of knew that that was my specialty. (laughs) (laughs) You think they would do something else than drive to the hoop and shoot the ball against the big guy, but... They'd, yeah, maybe they learned the twenty second time. Yeah, I think from what I remember, the the center was kind of heavy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was probably a factor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. speaking of heavy, what's your favorite type of milk? <laughs> My favorite type of milk. Wow, that's that's quite a different question. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it's an interesting answer because I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, okay. Um, so, but that does, but that doesn't stop me from eating those amazing Italian pizzas this year and those great <laughs> pastas and whatnot. Yeah, I was still, I was sacrificing the stomach for those. Yeah, but yeah. uh, yeah, but um, I would say for sure if I'm gonna buy milk, which I never do, it'd probably be an almond milk. Okay. Yeah, we just had, yeah, we asked everybody like that. that show just or at that question on the show. Just get get our take That's on very milk. funny. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, what's your favorite? What's well, your favorite milk? We've had this discussion with some players too. I say skim milk, and I know a lot of people disagree with that. Yeah, I'm a whole milk guy. I like I the girth. Sure. Yeah, if I'm picking both of those milks, they're both gonna mess up my stomach. But I'm going with the whole. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, it tastes better. It yeah, tastes better. It's not water. Yeah, yeah. All, All right. good. Uh, I, I'm guessing I can guess your answer on this next one based on what you said earlier. But who is the best player you've ever played against? Okay, so I mean, you would for sure have to pick one of those Miami Pro guys. Yep, right. I'm thinking Dwayne Wade. <laughs> yeah, you're thinking Dwayne Wade. Well, the thing is, I would answer Dwayne Wade because you know he is once the best player from the bunch. But I didn't actually play against them. I mean, he mm. kind of just stayed on the perimeter. Yeah. I would say for sure it was Hassan Whiteside. Mm. Huh. Yeah, that makes sense. Hassan Whiteside is basically the NBA version of me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's he's the best shot blocker in the NBA. So me and him were trading blocks a lot that game. But he's also like a really strong dude. He's got good athleticism. So he was trying to dunk on me a lot. He never did, but nice. he was trying to. Yeah, I was very tired after that game. So I would say for sure it was him. But just to make your answer a little more interesting, I would say that in college, uh, the best player I played against was Fred Van Vliet at Wichita State. Yeah, yeah. and that you guys beat him too, right? We beat him, yeah. and I mean, he's, he, he had a lot of fame, you know, at Wichita State taking yep. that team so far in the tournament, but his new fame is getting his damn face smashed in the, in the NBA Finals. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if it was the championship game, but 
he was going to work mm-hmm. uh, for the Raptors last year. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, I, it was very tough to see that elbow come down on his face because he was going crazy. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he but, made yeah. some money based on how he played that. Year. Yeah, he made that series. Yeah, no, he definitely did. I'm very, I'm very proud of him because I mean, I remember playing against him all the time, and I was like, okay, this dude's head and shoulders is better than all the guards in in this in this league. Yeah, and then now I see what he's done as a pro, and he's really just taking that that next level for sure. Definitely. Yeah, especially coming from a mid major, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, based on your network, or at least people you know basketball players, could be football players, anybody you know, who do you think we should interview next? Who should we have on the podcast next in interview? Oh, man. Okay, hopefully I don't say anyone you've already interviewed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't say Dwayne man. Wade, though. Would... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Uh, you know, try and get a hold of us on Whiteside. No, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to be able to do that. <laughs> be like, who the hell are yeah. these idiots from Minnesota? Why yeah. are they contacting me? I would have to say... Hmm. Give me like, give me like ten seconds. Okay. Give me like ten okay. seconds. I, <laughs> I'd have to say that you should interview my man Amir Coffee, Jordan Murphy, or no, no, no. Let's just say anybody from my from my uh, my twenty seventeen season. Okay, anybody. We did reach out to Coffee. He didn't. He didn't want to. He didn't want to do this. Oh, yeah. Was early in the season though. This was like right when he was starting with the Clippers. So I mean, that's oh, yeah. not like a busy a, time for him. He's a Los Angeles guy now. He's, he thinks he's too cool. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's gone Hollywood on us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, but actually, let me just give you. I'm gonna for sure give you one person. I don't want to disrespect any of my teammates because I'm gonna get texts from them if they hear this and they're like, "Yo, right? Why didn't you say me?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would say interview my first roommate, Charles Bugs. Charles Bugs. Okay, yeah, I remember him. Charles Bugs Lengthy will absolutely dude. 100% give you an, uh, an interview, and it will be very interesting. Okay. All the other guys will give you good interviews, but it won't be as interesting. <laughs> okay. Awesome. We're going to cut this up into a promo, so he's going to hear this, hopefully. We'll send it to him, and uh, hopefully we can get him on. I love it. Very good. All right, last quick hitter here, then we'll let you go. Who is the most famous person in your phone contacts? Ooh, man. This might be another tough one. <laughs> I might need to check the contacts. Okay, yeah, but I would, I would have to say, I'm just gonna think because I definitely have. Okay, you know what? I have Tim Hardaway Jr.'s number. Nice, that'll do it. Because because he was because he was on my Miami Pro Am team, <laughs> so I had his number because we were. He was always giving me reminders what time the games were. <laughs> if, it was, if it wasn't for him, I would I would probably have been late. It's uh, <laughs> a good number to have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, Tim Hardaway and. What what's funny is actually this summer, um, after my Estonia season, before I played in Italy this year, uh, I went my I had one NBA uh, pro pro uh, camp. I, I got invited to the Dallas Mavericks, and I saw him again. Hmm. Nice. <laughs> so it was nice to see him one year after the the pro league, and he was he was over there shooting, and I was doing my my whole deal with other other good players. So. It was nice to see him again. I didn't think I would see see him again in person, so yeah, it was really nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah, be able to cement that friendship. Well, guys, go follow yep. Reggie on Instagram. It's at Reginald with two eyes, and Twitter is at Air underscore Reginald again with two eyes. Any uh, any burner accounts you want us to promote? Anything? <laughs> I don't have any burners. I'm not Kevin Durant, man. <laughs> okay. How about your vlog? I see you have a vlog, hey. right? 
Yeah, my man, I appreciate it. You've done your research. Give <laughs> Reggie Lynch vlogs. Reggie Lynch, it's just Reggie Lynch uh, for the account, but it's, you know, Reggie Lynch vlogs if you want to just find the vlog. Okay, perfect. There you have it, folks. Go check him out. Reggie, thanks so much for coming on. Good luck. Hopefully you're back playing soon and this all is over, but in the meantime, good luck training and uh, keep going hard, man. Yeah, thanks, Reggie. Man, I appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Everybody stay safe. You know, put that work in if you can. If you got a got a little set up in your home get some work in let's all work together yes sir there is a house in New Orleans they call the rising sun and it's been the ruin of many a poor boy in God 